Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is neither investment, legal, nor tax advice and does not represent the opinions of the employers of the host or guest. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. While all families in the U.S. should have an estate plan, a comprehensive plan is particularly important when your family ties and assets span more than one country. Estate planning can be a challenging task for anyone, but add multiple citizenships and foreign assets into the mix, and it can become downright formidable. That said, failing to have a plan in place can leave your family at risk. To help us navigate these issues, we have estate planning attorney Shannon McNulty with us to talk about how to protect your family when you cross borders. Shannon is an estate planning attorney and founder of the Village Law Firm in New York City. She provides comprehensive tax and estate planning for New Yorkers and their families. Shannon has a particular focus on global families with young children. She has a CFP designation from the CFP Planner Board of Standards, and she's on the board of directors of the Estate Planning Council of New York City. Shannon is the host of the Global Village Law and Money podcast, which is a resource to help foreign nationals make smart legal and financial decisions. Welcome aboard, Shannon. Thanks so much for having me, Fraser. Well, estate planning is crazy in its own right when you're dealing with U.S. citizens. And when you start throwing in cross-border issues and foreign countries and so on, it gets that much more complicated. Maybe take us a little bit on how you got involved with dealing with families on a global basis. Sure. So I've always been interested in other cultures. When I was in college, I majored in international studies. And after law school, I went on to work for a large firm that specialized in international transactions. So I kind of had that as my background. And when I opened my law firm in New York City, as you know, New York City is full of people from all over the world. I think it has a foreign born population of over 35%. So it's almost hard to practice here without running into some kind of cross-border issues. But I think that the biggest reason that I cater to this population is that there's just like such a huge need. Not a lot of estate planning lawyers have this kind of expertise. And as we'll discuss, it's just so critical for this population to have a really good estate plan in place. So talk to us about the importance. I think most people who listen to this show understand that having an estate plan is key. You don't want things to sort of become the vagaries of the court, or if you have no documents in place, there's lots of interpretation that can go into place there. If things haven't been reviewed in a timely manner, you may be dealing with an environment that was five or 10 or 15 years ago and maybe not so current now. But the global perspective, maybe the global dimension to this, why is it so important to really hone in on the situation both here and abroad for families? Sure. As you mentioned, it's really important for anyone to have an estate plan because in terms of the distribution of the assets or the transfer of the assets, there could be a lot of legal obstacles. There could be a lot of red tape, bureaucracy. But when we're dealing with cross-border families, it becomes infinitely more complicated and infinitely more stressful for everyone involved and infinitely more expensive. So if we have a plan in place beforehand, it can prevent a lot of those things from being so awful as they might be. The other really important part is that 
you want to make sure that if you have young kids here, and I work with a lot of families with young kids, that your kids are really well protected. And if you are not born here, there's a really good chance that your close family members are not living in the U.S., that they're living in your home country. And so this has implications both as a legal matter and as a practical matter. So non-U.S. citizens may be legally disqualified from serving in certain roles, such as an executor. And just as a practical matter, they may not be able to speak the language in order to navigate the legal system here. They may not be able to get on a flight to come over here. And I mean, we saw this during COVID, like a lot of flights were grounded. You couldn't even get into some place if you were even able to get a visa. So all of these things just make the risks of not having that plan in place all the more salient. And the other way around, too, I've dealt with a lot of U.S. citizens who suddenly have ties to other countries, and they just sort of assume that, oh, well, the U.S. system is how everything works. No, that's not the case. France has a way of doing things. Russia has a way of doing things. The U.K. has a way of doing things. And so in my experience, it's always been you have to get away from a U.S.-centric mode, and this is how the legal system applies worldwide, and understand that you don't want to be surprised with how other people do it. Absolutely. And a lot of my clients, they come from countries where it's not very common to have a will. Like that's not something that is typical. There are very strict procedures and rules as to what happens when you pass away. You're not even allowed to leave your assets maybe to the person who you would want to leave them to. There's inheritance rules that are pretty strict in those countries. And so there's not really a big need to have a will. And so when you come to the US, you might think that, well, things work the same here. And they are kind of surprised to learn that they don't. So what are the basic things in an estate plan that these families that have international ties that they should address? So the most important thing is if you have young kids, you want to make sure that you have a guardianship plan for them. A guardian is someone who legally has responsibility for your kids if you're not alive or capable of taking care of your kids. That's always the most important thing because that's more important than any amount of money. Other than that, you want to make sure that your assets can be transferred and available for the use of your family pretty much immediately because those assets are going to be needed to pay a lawyer, to pay travel fees, to take care of any number of mortgage payments or childcare payments, all of these things that cost money. And if your assets, if you don't have a way to kind of easily transfer those assets, then your family members could be really burdened by that. Another aspect of estate planning is, this is really for domestic or international, is making sure you have a plan in case you became incapacitated. So if you were in the hospital and you're unconscious, who is making medical decisions for you? Who is also paying your bills, those mortgage bills, rent bills? And finally, you want to make sure that you're minimizing your taxes because this is an area, unfortunately, where we can have some pretty draconian tax bills if we're not careful about how transactions are structured. So can a parent designate a guardian for their children who don't live in the United States? 
The answer is yes, and this is one of the most common questions I get, but it's really important to understand that it's not a simple process. And just because you have designated, usually we would designate this person in your will, but even though they're designated in your will, doesn't mean they automatically become the guardian. The court also has to approve that designation. And if somebody is outside of the U.S., then that process becomes very lengthy and complicated. And there is a chance that the court will not approve that choice of guardian at all if they have concerns about the location where the child would be going. So what happens if there's no guardian? This is a really tragic answer to this question, and that is that the court would assign the child to become a ward of the state. So they would enter into the foster care system. Yikes. So all the more reason, really, to get that guardianship component taken care of. You do not want that in any situation, I would think. No. And I've actually seen there was recently a case that was not in New York, but I was consulted on that a couple had passed away. They were Indian nationals and they had left an infant there and their family wasn't in the U.S. All of their family, they had lots of family, but they were all in India. The neighbor took the child in and asked the court to be the child's caretaker. And he raised $300,000 on a GoFundMe for this child and then put the child up for adoption on the internet. And a couple tried to adopt this child. It took almost three years for the child to be reunited with the family. Oh my gosh. A cautionary tale. You do not want that. Explain to us how you make the assets liquid and and transferable to the people that you'd want to have them when you pass away. A lot of people don't realize even in the U.S. that even if you're born in the U.S., that when we pass away, all of our assets are basically frozen at that time and nobody is able to access them. In order to access those assets, generally you have to get an order from the court in a process called probate. Probate process can take quite a long time. And especially if we have like any kind of cross-border issues, it's going to take a lot longer and can be really lengthy and expensive. So what I usually do for clients is just structure their assets to avoid that probate process. And we do this most commonly with something called a revocable living trust. And so with the living trust in place, then I guess the next question is, if your kids are minors, how will you have those assets managed? Do you have an investment manager put in place? From a staffing perspective, do you have a corporate trustee, an individual trustee? What's your standard go-to on something like that? Sure. So in the revocable living trust, the revocable living trust allows the assets to avoid probate and for the family member or friend or whoever it is that you've appointed to manage those affairs immediately. And then the assets that are left to the child would be held in further trust and the trust document would designate a trustee to manage those assets. It really depends on how much money we're talking about, whether you want to have a corporate trustee. A lot of my clients will just have a family member and then the family member could appoint a corporate trustee. That's kind of often how we would structure that. But 
if somebody is outside of the US, if your family is outside of the US, you just want to make sure that that trust is flexible and enough in order for them to manage the money or you have to also consider the tax implications of how that would play out. That sounds reasonable to me. Let's go back to the incapacity planning. How does that fit in with this framework that you're describing? So the main documents that we use for incapacity planning are a healthcare proxy and a power of attorney. A healthcare proxy is a document that allows someone to make medical decisions for you. And power of attorney is a document that authorizes someone to sign legal documents and to access your finances and manage your financial affairs. And to get back to the tax component, this is probably worthy of not only an episode of a podcast, but a whole podcast devoted to it in and of itself. But in general, what do global families need to know about the taxes in that estate planning context? Yeah, it's hard to answer this in a part of a podcast, but you want to just be really careful. Anytime money is moved from one person to another, there could be a tax on it. And especially if it's moved across borders, there might be even more complicated or more draconian taxes on that. So I would say one is that generally people who are not U.S. residents and not U.S. citizens be very careful about making investments in the U.S., whether that's property or a brokerage account or something like that, because you could end up with a very, very high tax bill if you passed away or your family could end up with a very high tax bill in that situation. And we have clients, a lot of such times we have situations where maybe the parents are going to want to help their child in the U.S. purchase a home and they'll maybe be put on the deed for that property because they help them put the down payment in. And that can become really problematic if the parent passes away and then they may even have to sell the house just to pay the taxes. So that's an example of where these heightened taxes in the international context can play out. But you just want to make sure that anytime you're moving assets from one person to another, even among spouses, because if you're not U.S. citizens, if both spouses are not U.S. citizens, there could end up being a tax just on transfer between spouses. So I think that the takeaway is really you need to get professional help, either from a tax advisor, from a lawyer, on how to structure any kind of transaction like that before you do it, because afterwards it could be too late. And to do it from the different jurisdictions that could be affected. So the outside country and the United States. Yes, absolutely. And when we have clients either who have assets in another country or the tax reach of that country is long, meaning that they may be still, even if they're living in the U.S., they could still be subject to the tax jurisdiction of the other country. Then we have to make sure that we're working with a tax practitioner in that other country to coordinate and minimize the taxes in both countries as best we can. We're winding down here. Shannon, can you just give us a quick summary of these essential documents that global families should have in place? 
Sure. The essential documents are you want to have a will in place, and that's kind of the basic building block of any estate plan. A will designates where your assets go and also designates a guardian for your kids. You also want to have in place in most states what's called a standby guardianship or a temporary guardianship, and that allows someone to serve as the guardian until the guardian in the will is appointed. You want to have a living trust in place, a revocable trust to make sure your assets are available when they need to be available for your family. If something happened to you, you want to have a healthcare proxy and a power of attorney for your incapacity planning. And those are, I think, the big five, I would say. Terrific. Really sound advice. Thanks so much for coming on here. How does the audience find you if they have questions or if they think the situation applies to this type of cross-border planning? Yeah. My website is thevillagelawfirm.com. And I also have a podcast, which is Global Village Law and Money Podcast, which can be really helpful if you are a global family or a global individual. Well, thanks so much for being on. Before we sign off here, as we're both podcasters, maybe talk a little bit about some interesting things that have come up in your podcasting travels. Have you had any interesting discussions or funny stories around that? There's always interesting stories or bloopers (laughs) when we're doing podcasting, but I really just love to meet more people and interview more people and get more knowledge out there. Again, I feel like this is an area where There's not a lot of resources for people who are in this situation when they're coming to the U.S. And a lot of my clients, they said, we never knew anything about this. Nobody ever told us when we got our visa or when we got our green card or citizenship that these are things that we need to think about. And so that's really why I started that podcast. So it's a great resource because it does pull from a lot of different areas of expertise. Well, I agree with that. I've listened to them and they're terrific. Thanks so much, Shannon, for being on. Your information will be in the show notes for people to find you and really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much, Fraser. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Fraser Rice is an employee of Next Capital Management, LLC. This podcast is not investment, legal, or tax advice, nor does it reflect the opinions of Next Capital Management. Any opinions represented in the show are Fraser's individually and not an endorsement of the guests.